0: My name is Rosalind Davis, and I have been in Madison for three years, almost three years. And I've been a member of a Vertical Church since October of 2022. Ironically, Vertical was the very first church I saw when I moved to Madison, but it was the last one that I attended. And I'm very happy to be here. And I'm really glad to share my, to share my story. It's a little scary, but I'll, I'll, I'm willing to do so. I was born in Shelby, Mississippi, a small town in the Mississippi Delta. My mom was a teenage mother. She had me when she was 17 years old. Uh, It's a little difficult to talk about her because our relationship from the beginning was kinda bad. Um, But just the background, you know, my mother was born with a disability and she was born with a broken hip. And with that broken hip came a leg that would not grow. And when she turned nine years old, she was at the Shriners Children's Hospital where she spent most of her time as as a child there and having almost 163 surgeries on that hip because every time she grew, they did expanders and stuff to try to save the leg. But when she was nine, it was amputated. So um, when she was 17, 16, she started working in the nursery at the hospital and she knew she wanted to have children and when she and then they let her start working in the office and she told me that one day she went in there and she saw the paperwork that my grandfather had signed that when she turned 18 there was gonna they were gonna sterilize her because they didn't think that her hip could expand enough to give birth to a child, so they were gonna sterilize her. So when it was her break to come home, she took matters into her own hands. And nine months later, I came. So my life at that point, I was living with my grandparents. It was great. Um, We had a whole community, a loving, close-knit family. Um, And community, not like today, but good community, and we would all be at each other's house. And when I was six years old, that's when my life kind of changed drastically. I was at a cookout at the pastor's house, and his 16-year-old son, people I knew and I trusted, and I've been in the house a million times, but I went in the kitchen, and he came up behind me, and he touched me inappropriately. Now, as a six-year-old, I didn't know what that was, but I knew I didn't like it. And I went and I told my grandmother, and when we got home, I told her, I didn't tell her then, I told her I wanted to go. And when we got home, I told her what happened. And They didn't believe me. And it started a cycle. I don't remember myself being an emotional child, up until that point because I pretty much, I mean, I I had a great life up until that point. But when I told them that I, what happened and they told me to stop crying, just stop, just shut up, stop crying. And I kept, I just became emotional. I just wanted someone to hear me. And so after a moment of of, of these times of wanting to talk and nobody wants to listen, I learned, to eat my emotions. I just stop caring and not allowing people to bother me. But that wasn't what happened because what happens is I just eat enough of it and then finally when I get enough, I just explode with this anger. So, a little while later, my mom stayed with my grandmother until she finished high school. She graduated from high school and she went to community college. She met my stepfather, and we moved out of my grandmother's house, so I was having to be with my mother alone. And shortly after that, she would tell me things. She would tell me that if it wasn't for, for me, the things that she could have accomplished with our life. And as a kid that doesn't... Doesn't feel good. You know, when I was little, I really didn't know what it meant. But then when I got older, it was really, really difficult. Someone that's supposed to love you, supposed to be your champion, you know, supposed to be your cheerleader, your protector, blaming me for the way the course of their life. Now, at this time I didn't know why mom got pregnant with me, because she didn't tell me this till later on in life. And so it became a brutal cycle of her antagonizing me. I still don't know what that was about. And if I said the wrong thing, I'd set her off and either hitting or knocking me out or embarrassing me or criticizing me. And the more I tried to please her, it was never good enough. My parents sent my brother and I too a private school. We went to a Catholic school. So, I was raised in a town with a lot with all of the kids. They all knew me. We all went to church together. We all lived in the same neighborhood. But the difference is my brother and I, we went to a different school out of town either. You know, my parents would take us or either later on we got a bus and they come pick us up. So, after I finished the school, I had to go into public school. And I was in public school with with all these kids that I know, these girls that I call friends. But when I got there, I was a different one because I went to private school, you know. And they thought I thought that I was better than them, and I I didn't. Because I had the whole Catholic school mentality, turn the other cheek, you know, be nice. But it it was bad, my whole seventh grade year was bad. We didn't call it bullying then, but I know it was just not nice, and, and, and I didn't have it in me to fight anyone, still. But I learned that when I try to turn the other cheek, they hit me on that one too. So I was like, okay. And so one day I was in homeroom, Ms. McGee's homeroom, I never forget it. And I left my purse. I just got a brand new leather bag purse. And I used to carry a rosary. And I'd pray the rosary and I'd have holy water. Don't ask me why. I just carry it with me. And I went to the bathroom, left the purse there on the desk. And these psych girls who were supposed to be my friends, they tore up the bag. They tore the little leather rosette off and they took all my stuff out of the bag and threw away my holy water. They didn't mess with the rosary, I guess, because it had the crucifix on it. So they didn't mess with that. So that night, I don't know why, I guess it was just the combination of all the stuff that I was getting. It was bad at school. It was bad at home. And when I got home that night, I decided I was going to do something. So all the night while everybody was there, I was going around and I collected pills. And I just kept them in my room. And later on that night, I just took a handful of them. I was 12 years old. And I took a handful of them. And I laid down and went to sleep. But something really amazing happened. I started to get sick. And I say it's amazing now because it led me to the path that I'm on now. But I started getting sick. And I had never experienced sickness like this. I felt like I was breaking inside. Like I I still can't describe it now, that kind of pain I was feeling. So I I got up and I began to pray my rosary. I, I knew the rosary, you know, 10 Hail Marys, one our father and I kept doing it till I prayed the whole thing and then I asked I asked Jesus I I, I didn't know him know Him, but I knew enough that he was God's son he was Mary's baby and so I prayed and I and I told him after I finished praying the rosary the rosary I told him what I had done and I asked him to help me and as I was praying and this is the truth. I start getting sick in my stomach, and I start to throw up. And I ran to the bathroom, and I was throwing up. And it was so bad that my parents, that were in, they were in the front of the house, heard me, and they came to the door and asked me, and I just told them. I said, no, I just have a stomachache. And I cleaned myself up, got back in the bed. And I said, well, if I'm alive tomorrow, it'll be a new day. And I woke up and I realized that Jesus was real and that he hears my prayers. And not only that, he answered them. And so that started my relationship with, it, with Jesus. The next week after that, coach came in and at a homeroom that same homeroom and invited me to get on a basketball team. And I started playing basketball and didn't realize that I was good at it. And so after I started playing basketball, the bullying stopped. It was just my seventh grade year. All of that changed from that one prayer. I found that the better I got at basketball, my name was in the paper. You know, people were talking about me and and my grades got better. The time between the time my mom would antagonize me would be extended. And I may say something and, and send her off and then I'm in the throes of it again. So I graduated high school, and I went to college, and I remember the first night there, my my mom and my brothers came to help me move in to my dorm room, and I remember that night, I was like, gosh, I'm free, I'm free. So you know what happened. (laughs) I lived, and I was like, and I kinda forgot about the Lord, and did kinda what I wanted to do, and then four years later, I graduated from college and went to grad school, and at the age of 22, I developed this longing And it's hard to explain it, but it was like a deep hole on the inside of me. And I tried to fill it. I'm telling you, I did. I tried. But nothing, nothing would fill it. And then I went, I thought about Jesus, and I started going to churches. And I mean, I went to African Episcopalian. I went to Church of God in Christ, Church of God. I went everywhere looking for Jesus. I couldn't find him so one night I was sitting at home in my apartment and the church of Latter-day Saints usually had, they would have these videos. And this video that they had on the commercial spoke to what I was feeling and what I was feeling going on in my life. Because at that point I had this realization, I was dating the guy, but I was ended up dating the same guy. He just had a different face and I was tired of it. And so I, I called the number. And I thought I was going to get a video, but they asked if they could come and bring it. And two guys showed up and they brought the video. I don't even know if I saw the video, but they asked if they could have Bible study with me. And that was the very first time that I ever read the word for myself. And when I started reading the word, it started filling that hole that I had inside of me. And I started feeling like the person I should have been. And it was amazing. So I studied with them for about two or three weeks. And then after that, they brought that Book of Mormon. Not saying anything about it, but I'd had the Bible. And I know that that was the answer that I had been looking for, for all this time before. And so that day when they left, I knew they weren't coming back. So when I got ready, I went to go lay the Bible down. I was going to the bathroom. And when I laid the Bible down, I heard this voice said, you've been looking for me and I've been right here the whole time. And it, it, I stopped because I knew I was in my room in my apartment by myself, but I heard this voice say this to me. And then I picked up the Bible and I turned to John 3:16, and, and I knew that one, you know, from Sunday school. But then what got me, I saw John 17. For the Son did not come into the world to destroy the world, but the world through him might be saved. And that's how Jesus introduced himself to me. And I've been following him ever since, because I knew from early on in my life that when I needed him the most, he heard me. And I was a kid that didn't know the ramifications of him dying for me, But I called out in earnest and he helped me. And so he introduced himself to me again. And I've been serving him ever since. And then I gave my life to the Lord. And my relationship with my mom continued to get bad because she wasn't saved and she didn't understand what I was going through. And I remember this night, I came home from grad school. And for some reason, I don't know what I had done to antagonize her, but we were in one of those bouts again. And I'm about 23, 24 years old. And she started in on me. And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, hold your peace, just hold your peace. And I did. And I went back in my room and I laid down and I could feel the Holy Spirit ministering to me because at that point I was a little grown, so I was angry and I wanted to lash out, but I didn't. And she came back in my room and she said to me, you must be saved. I'd have counted to 20 and you hadn't said anything to me. And I learned then that I could trust God and I could leave and, and not be under the influence of that kind of terror anymore. And then I started praying, and my mom got saved. You know, through a series of events, she got ill. She had several different illnesses, but she got got saved. And I remember being at a church service once, and um, a pastor, I was telling the pastor about my uh, relationship with my mother, because it was front and center at that point. And she told me to write a letter and to write it to the Lord, and tell him everything that I'd gone through, everything that I had felt about my mom and what I wanted to happen. And I did. And I remember back, you know, when I was a little kid, that it worked, when I needed him the most, and I did, and I wrote the letter. And I'm telling you, God changed our relationship. Because if you see, from the time, I think it was 2004 when she got breast cancer up until 2014 when she died, you would not, if you saw our relationship, you'd never believe how contentious our relationship was. Because I love my mother, but I didn't like her very much, but but she changed. It. And I, I was really upset one day, and, and the Lord spoke to me, and He said to me, He said, you know she chose you. I said, what you mean she chose me? She chose you to be there that last day. Because the the day before she died, she called me and I went home and we went out to eat. We went and got pizza. She loved pizza. We ate there. I took her to the doctor and we just sat and talked. So the story I told you about her getting pregnant, all of that, she told me all of that stuff. And I understood the trauma that she had the ridicule that she had as a youngster being pregnant and how people talked about her because she was she had a disability cuz my mother wore a prosthetic leg up until from the age 9 until she was till she died but she was proud and she was confident and and to some degree through all of this she had still the same thing in me and and our relationship was just so great. And I can only give God the glory for it. You know, what I want to go through, the things that I've gone through, No, who would choose that. But when I look back and I see the number of students that I've been able to help um, uh, at the college in which I work, I'm able to have that wisdom. I can tell them, yeah, I know where you've been. I've been there. I was like, but you smile so much. How do you have that? I was like <laughs> It's called grace <laughs> because God can do it. Because he knows. He cares for you. He cares. That's why the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He knows the things that you go through. And and he will take care of you. I'm a living witness. He will. He's still taking care of me now. And I, I'm telling you, I just love the Lord so much. I used to resent it that the fact that I had to go through that, but now I'm so grateful. Because when my mother needed me the most, I was there. Through all her illnesses, I was there. I did what I was supposed to do, even though she made it very difficult sometimes. But I stayed, and I did. And I thought, that's how God does us. Showing, truly showing God's love, even in the midst of when people are not treating you the way you think you need to be treated. But I'm so grateful to the Lord. I am, I'm so grateful to the Lord that He is healing because He healed my mom. And even though she had cancer, but when she died, she was cancer free. He saved, he saved my mom and He saved my dad, my brothers, and our family is better for it. All because God had mercy on me.
1: hard to follow a story like that up, but can we give Rosalyn a hand of applause? I know you don't love being the center of attention, but here you are. (laughs) And what courage and strength it takes, so really thank you. I know you're going to get tired of me saying that, but thank you for being here, for sharing your story. Um, we're gonna jump right in because again, I want Rosalind to just share with you guys kind of where she's at, what's been happening since all of this, and man, what a pleasure it's been getting to know Rosalind. Um, as as you see on this side, uh, we have our discipleship class that we actually all got to know each other, and we went in. I mean, is it guns blazing? Is that what the the state the thing is? <laughs> Whatever everybody says. Anyways, it was heavy from the start. Then we got into another. Uh, book that we were just talking about backstage, emotionally healthy discipleship and spirituality, and that book. How was how that book for you, Rosal?
0: Oh my, oh my, yes. <laughs> Eight chapters, yeah.
1: Eight chapters of mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some questions that I took, and maybe some of the people had as as we were listening to your story. Um, I wanted to jump into. Your mom, I mean, that's such a big part of your story, and I know a lot of people here knowing their stories relate to that. Your school peers, um, everyone around you making you feel unloved, unwanted, maybe even not worth being here at times. So much so that you decided you were going to do something, you were going to end it. If it was better that you weren't here, you were going to end it all. Yeah. Um, and I know, knowing you personally, that, that hits home even now, dealing with that, um, as a teacher at school. So, if you could go back to that seventh grade Rosalind, to maybe the people sitting in these chairs or watching this, what are some things that you have been able to say to students knowing that you're looking that seventh grade Rosalind in the face, maybe that you're looking those people that made you feel unwanted and loved? What are some things that you would say to them now?
0: Don't believe the height. Yeah because the Lord said something to me a little while ago. uh, I pray for my students all the time, and he said early on that Satan has a ploy that he's going to make young people believe that he doesn't exist. And what an amazing strategy, because how do you know to fight if you don't know you have an enemy? So don't believe the hype, because I was telling Reshma earlier, but so often we're, Someone can say something so wonderful to us, and we can hear a thousand times how wonderful we are. But one person can say, you're ugly. Or, I don't like that. Oh, you this and you that. And we tend, in our humanness, believe the negativity instead of believing who, who God says that we are. And I tell my students that, too. You're loved. Because the Bible says that God commended his love toward us in that when we were yet sinners... Christ, he died for us. What an incredible gift. What an incredible gift. Everything, and that's what I would tell myself, and I'm telling you, I tell my young people too, and I call them young people, they're college students, but everything that you see when you look in the mirror that was intentional, God created you. The Bible says that he formed you, he knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. So you're intentional. The way you are is on purpose. Every gift, every talent, everything that you have, God gave it to you. So you have to see that and appreciate that and not listen to, and and what sense does it make to listen to kids who just as young as you are have no life experience? But we have that tendency to do just that. Listen to God.
1: The next thing I wrote down in tangent with that is, (laughs) I love this quote from you, I love my mom, but I sure didn't like her. And I'm sure everybody thought of at least one person, family or relationally, that you're thinking of that you love them so much, but you don't like them. But even now, going forward, you have those people in your life that you love, and it's evident that you love them, but you don't like them. (laughs) How is it now holding your peace, as, as God said to you? How do you hold your peace, and how can people better hold their peace with each other? Because we don't know their story. We don't know what made them who they are. And we see in your story, it makes people, it makes your mom treat you the way that she treats It makes different things, different traumas, different triggers arise. So how can we hold our peace better?
0: Well... The the thing of it, and this wasn't an easy lesson, because when you're in the throes of something, the only thing you see is a person who's looking at you, the person who's saying what they're saying to you. But you got to think about it. What does God do for us? We're not perfect. How many times do we disappoint him? How many times do we say things or do things, and then we have to go back, oh Lord, I, I missed the mark on that one. But if we start looking at people that, like they're children of God, I had to learn that the hard way with my mom. Now, you see this, I'm, I just turned 54 Friday, and I'm just now going through this right now. And I had to realize that my mom was human. And I said this in class one time, you know, as children, we, we get this trauma, but you got to realize, especially the older child, you know, we have something about that baby, but <laughs> the older child, you get your parents when they're, they're youngest. So they're just dealing with it too. And as, student, as, as, as kids, we think our parents have it all together. They don't. They don't. They're just doing the best that they can. But we just have to look at people through the eyes of God and how he looks at us. Because he loves us in spite of us. Sometimes despite me, in spite of me, he still loves me. And that's so important. Yeah, that's so important.
1: So important. And I think that he designed, like you said, those final days for you and her to be able to spend that time together that you longed for and you craved so much. You filled it. You tried to put things in place of that bond that you wanted with your mother. And then in those final days, she called you. And I know that that meant the world, maybe not in the moment, because you were like, I don't want to be there. You know, you want to do anything else. But in those final days, you were able to hear all of those things. Exactly. And so now, looking at that time, looking back, and not knowing anything, how would you say that you try to get to know people on that personal level before Judging how they're reacting, how they're acting, what they're posting, what they're saying, all the things. How can you do that better, and how can we as a people do that better?
0: Yeah. Just step back and realize they're human. That sometimes people are acting out. Because what's the whole mantra? Hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes it's just so hard when you're in the throes of things uh, to have compassion on the other person. Because I'm like, wow, why would I? And it goes back to turning the other cheek. That same lesson I learned a long time ago. But sometimes, (laughs) yeah, I'm still learning. Because when you turn the other cheek, you have a moment to to just sit back. And then in doing that time, you're not by yourself. Because the Bible says, even with every temptation, God will provide you a way to escape. All you have to do is just sit and wait for it. Mm -hmm. And that's true, I'm a living witness. Especially being a teacher, because Let me tell you, you got 35 kids in there that Satan can pop in. (laughs) This is the parents of those kids. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you don't know the Lord, (laughs) there'll be many times the Holy Spirit had to grab something out of my mouth. I'm telling you.
1: you to speak on that a little bit, just how he's been able to use your story, where you were as a child, then into your teen years, and now you're teaching those teenagers. Can you share just kind of all that God's done through chapel, through the move, through everything, yeah. what he's done through that?
0: I, I tell you, when you have, when you go through, see, so you, you got to understand your story is important, and, and not because you're, because you're important to God. I had to learn that. And and going through this, I I, I say this, Reshma, there's eight chapters in that book. I've been flayed eight different ways. (laughs) And that's the truth. But when you go through, and I didn't realize that I needed to open up. And I'm going to tell you what God told me. I was like, Lord, why now? And he said, because that hurt, that stuff was in the place where I should have been. And see, even though I was hurt, but I allowed the Lord to help me. Cause like I said in the thing, God said, cast all your cares. And when you do that and you allow yourself to grow, allow yourself to heal, guess what happens? You've gone through that chapter and now you become a chapter that somebody else can read. And so he sends someone to you and he put me in a place. And there have been times when I've been lecturing and wanted to finish my lecture and students come knocking at the door crying. I me mean, Davis, there have been times when the counselors on campus were there and the counselors couldn't, this is the truth, I had a student had fell out, passed out in the, in the back 40 in Goodman. The ambulance would not leave because that student wanted me to pray. So campus police had to come find me and bring me to the hill because the, the paramedics wouldn't leave until I got there and I got in and I prayed for that student And I'm going to tell you how good God is. By the time they got to Canton, because I was teaching at Goodman, wasn't nothing wrong with him. They let him go. His parents were there. They let him go. But it wasn't me. It was that student's faith in Jesus, and he needed a point of contact. And I know I, I say don't look at me. I tell my students don't look at me because what you're seeing is Jesus working through me. I want to be a reflection of him. And I want someone who's lost in the darkness to see the light of his glory in me. And that should be our, all of our, what she, we should stress, you know, stress to do, because he's in heaven. But whose arms will he use? Yours. Yeah. To hug someone. That's so true. Mm-hmm.
1: Rosalyn, you literally bring to life the scripture, Psalm 116, 1 through 19, and I'm reading it out of the message version because it makes more sense to me sometimes that way. And I know that people in class would attest to this after hearing your story, after hearing stories even outside of this, things that you're coming to deal with, even today, like you said, all these years later, things are still being brought up that you're dealing with, and it's a courageous act for you to sit in it and deal with it wanted to read this. It says, I love God because he listened to me. He listened as I begged for mercy. He listened so intently as I laid out my cares before him. Death stared me in the face. Hell was hard on my heels. Up against it, I didn't know which way to turn. Then I called out to God for help. Please, God. I cried out, save my life. God is gracious. It is who makes him what he is, and he makes all things right. Our most compassionate God. God takes the side of the helpless, you at seventh grade, you every day going forward. When I was at the end of my rope, he saved me. I said to myself, relax and rest. God has showered you with blessings. Soul, you've been rescued from death. Eye, you've been rescued from tears. And foot, you were kept from stumbling. I'm striding in the presence of God, alive and in the land of the living. I stayed faithful, though overwhelmed, and despite a ton of bad luck, Despite giving up on human race saying, they're all liars and cheats, what can I give back to God for the blessing he's poured out on me? I'll lift high the cup of salvation, toast to God, I'll pray in the name of God, I'll complete what I promised to God I would do, and I'll do it together with his people. When they arrive at the gates of death, God welcomes those who love him. Oh God, here I am, your servant, your faithful servant, set me free for your service. I'm ready to offer the Thanksgiving sacrifice and pray in the name of God. I'll complete what I promised to God I'd do, and I'll do it in company with his people in this place of worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Rosalind, that is such a, as soon as you started sharing, that is what came to mind, and what an honor it is to get to sit up here with you, to call you friend, um, speaking of friends, I did want to call up the group that we've been able to sit with, like you said, in these exact chairs in that back room, um, if you guys would uh, step on. Roslyn, would you share just how it's been to be able to sit really with a group of, of strangers as they come up um, and what you've learned?
0: Uh, before, because of the trauma, I wouldn't share with myself, with anybody, But I knew something was happening. I knew something was happening, and I told Reshma, I'm going to allow it to happen. And when you're honest with yourself, especially when you're with these these lovely people, I promise you. uh, Gosh, going through, opening yourself up, and being honest about how you're feeling. I tell you right now, my life feels the air around me is different. It was like before I was breathing in dirty air, but now it's just like I'm in the forest and everything is crisp and clear. And I was truly blessed going through that class, emotionally healthy spirituality. And I'm so grateful for, for this church and for these people who are around me, even Kemper. <laughs>
1: Well, Rosalyn, we want to pray with you on that note. <laughs> Kimber said we'll come, come into attack. What, what would you feel comfortable? Uh, just want to pray with you. God, I thank you so much for Rosalind. I thank you for her story, for her testimony. God, for the mess that we call life. God, I thank you that you did step in and save her. You spoke to her in ways that now she can look back and she sees you. But God, maybe in the time it didn't feel evident. So I thank you that she can stand as a living testimony that you are there, you hear her, even when she felt like you were not near God, that you made your presence known through the people around her. Through these hands touching her, God, I pray that these friendships stay, this community stays, God, because we know that we can't do this alone, God. We need you and we need each other. So I thank you for her story, showing that for us and making us better people because of knowing her and living out things that maybe we were scared to do before, God, but give us the exact same courage that you've given her and then more, God. Show us what you need us to do and give us the power. I pray specifically for the people in the seats, God, That as they heard Rosalind's story, as they hear her encouragement, and for her to just be able to share experience so that they can go through life without having to make the same decisions, God, but they can learn from hers. God, I just pray that you would rest with them. Your spirit dwells with them when they're feeling lonely and that they feel that they're unwanted or maybe not valued here, God. I just pray that you would make it known just like you did for Rosalind in seventh grade, just like you've done every day since. God, I just pray that you make it known that you did create them, that you did make every single one of us unique to do the things that you called us to do, and you're counting on us to do it, God. So may we have that courage to do it, to step out and share our story with others, God, so that people can know you. Nothing for us, God, but all for your glory so that one day we can all enter in together. So... Go before us, God. I thank you again for Rosalind, for her whole life, the broken parts, the messy parts, God. I thank you for who she is today, the power, the wisdom, and the courage that she speaks, speaks to all of us, God. Go before all of us and keep us safe in your will. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.